welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning Wednesday. Welcome in at worldsoccertalk.com. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Man, we've got a big show lined up for you today. Some of the biggest stories in the world of soccer will be covered right here over the next hour plus. Um, let's start with our guests. Two very excellent guests return guest to this program, Eric Gomez, who may have the record for appearances. He may have the Soccer Morning Caps record. I'm not sure what that is. We haven't tabulated said number. But it's, I imagine Eric's in the 50 range, right? Eric Gomez covering Mexican soccer. He'll, get, uh, he'll be on the show in a couple of minutes to talk about the preparations for L3 when it comes to USA and Mexico on Saturday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. Confederations Cup birth on the line. And uh, injuries in the Mexican camp, plus some news as to their potential replacement uh, for permanent head coach. Also on this program, Ross Dunbar covers German soccer. We'll get into Jurgen Klopp's big move to Liverpool with him. Check out uh, whether or not this is going to be a good fit for Liverpool, a good fit for Klopp. Uh, lots to talk about there. These are, again, the two of the biggest stories in the world of soccer. But we've got more. There are other things happening. Let's run down the news here on a Wednesday before we dive into those discussions with Eric and Ross. Per reports in the United Kingdom, Bob Bradley is quote-unquote a shock candidate to replace Dick Advocat at Sunderland. Um, if you've been following the saga of Dick, Dick Advocat leaving, numerous names have been put out there as possible replacements, including Sam Allardyce. Nigel Pearson has reportedly been approached. It's not clear exactly where things stand. Remember, the owner of Sunderland is an American Ellis Short. The odds on Bob Bradley have moved a lot over the last couple of days, especially with these new reports. He has uh, moved from 10th, 12th favorite up to 3rd favorite behind Allardyce and Pearson. And the Staubach chief executive, whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, has said that their club will not stand in Bradley's way should Sunderland come calling. Uh, a lot of this is about whether or not Bob Bradley himself has reached out to Sunderland or if Sunderland has shown some interest in Bob Bradley unclear where that stands but bears watching would clearly be a momentous thing for an american head coach to get an opportunity in the english premier league speaking of mexico they've suffered another injury blow ahead of saturday's showdown with the usa for the right to go to the confederations cup in 2017 leon midfielder jose juan vasquez has pulled out of that team with a couple of muscle injuries after reporting to camp leon teammate elias hernandez takes his spot on the roster we'll get into what this means with Eric Gomez in a couple of minutes speaking of Mexico's head coaching position former New York Red Bulls head coach Juan Carlos Osorio most recently of Sao Paulo in Brazil is in line to take over the Mexican national team job per reports Sao Paulo themselves issued a statement that said that's where Osorio was going when he left when he decided to leave Sao Paulo uh, last week or, or early this week as a matter of fact uh, again, Orsoyo's resume includes successful stints in his native Colombia with Atletico Nacional, as well as in Mexico with Puebla. So he's a known quantity to uh, FMF officials and seems to be in line, him and his notebook, in line for the Mexican national team job. The USU-23s finished out a perfect group stage in Olympic qualifying with a 4-0 route of Panama last night. Jerome Kisavetter, Jordan Morris come, uh, came on as substitutes to help spark the attack. Big second half, all four goals coming in the second half uh, for the Americans. Kisavetter himself 
with a goal and an assist in the win. FIFA presidential candidate Chung Mong Jun, who is uh, out front, the guy that uh, likes to talk the most about what's going on with the FIFA presidential race, has called Sepp Blatter, quote, a hypocrite and a liar and says he is planning to sue the outgoing FIFA president for, wait for it, $100 million, at least $100 million. His plan is to sue Blatter for embezzlement in Swiss court, and he pledges to turn over any damages to FIFA. That's uh, an interesting development. Again, remember, we've reported already that Chung Among Jun says he's in line for a 19-year ban by the FIFA executive committee for things he believes were not illegal when he did them, which was uh, back the South Korea bid in the World Cup and propose a plan to help fund uh, FAs around the world. Uh, he also says for that uh, four years of that ban is simply because he criticized the FIFA Ethics Committee. A couple of big games in MLS tonight as the uh, season winds down, the regular season getting down to the nitty-gritty here. The New York Red Bulls hosting the Montreal Impact in a massive game for the Impact, uh, considering their tenuous hold on a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Yesterday had a chance to talk to Paul Tenorio on the Sirius show he believes that it's, it's very possible for Orlando City to catch Montreal. It's only one-point gap at the moment. Of course, Montreal has two games in hand, but their schedule down the stretch is very rough uh, for Drogba and company, so they need to get as many points as possible. We'll see if they can do so at Red Bull Arena uh, tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. The other MLS matchup tonight, Vancouver, FC Dallas. FC Dallas in line to grab the first seed in the Western Conference by virtue of their games in hand. They have two on the LA Galaxy who are a point ahead in the West. Vancouver is a point, uh, sorry, Vancouver is two points back of, of LA Galaxy and one point back of FC Dallas. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, this evening. Obviously, FC Dallas is a better home team than a road team. Vancouver, a better road team than a home team. It kind of uh, turns those things topsy-turvy in the Western Conference where it'll come down to the last couple of matches to see what the seeding shakes out. You've got the Galaxy and, and FC Dallas already with their spots booked in the 2015 MLS playoffs. All right, we've set the stage very quick rundown of the news. Lots to cover. Mexico, Germany. Let's do that. Let's get our friend Eric Gomez, the all-time Caps leader on Soccer Morning, if I'm not mistaken, on the program in just a minute. It's Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we turn now to our good friend Eric Gomez, Eric Gomez 86 on Twitter. Talk a little USA Mexico ahead of the big game on Saturday night. We'll do it from a Mexican perspective here <laughs> with Eric. Uh, Eric, how are you, sir? Doing good, doing good. Just um, getting my bearings ready to travel to LA and uh, cover that that oh, big game. I, you know, I, I'm I'm extremely jealous. I saw uh, I, I have a scholarship tweeted out yesterday that uh, 700 people have been credentialed for that game with just as many rejections. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite the showing right. for for you know a contrived game. Let's be honest about that. Absolutely, but I still think that. Interest in this game will always be high. You know, anytime you get a United States versus Mexico game and, and there's something on the line, uh, more so than, than a mere friendly. I mean, I've been to games that are mere friendlies between these two teams that have had a um, significant media presence. So, I mean, a Confederations Cup berth, call it what you want, uh, give it as much importance as you want. I still think this is going to be a, a pretty big game for both both of those teams. Now, so much, you know, a lot of the, the discussion around the USA team right now is not really focused on the players. I mean, we know who, who Klinsman's called in. There have been a couple of odd exclusions, but nothing groundbreaking. It's it's usually just about Klinsman and his job prospects should he lose this match. Now, that's, there's some defeatism in there, um, but I think a lot of people think the United States has a decent shot at this, of course, and part of that is because Mexico seems to be, you know, in a bit of turmoil. We've got a, a, a an interim head coach in Tuco Ferretti, and we'll maybe come to him in the, in the coaching situation in a minute. But we also have uh, a roster that's a bit in flux because of ins and outs with injury. The the latest news is is Vasquez um, having to pull out of this. How big of a deal is that? Well, Vasquez is one of Mexico's best holding midfielders, bar none. So I think that losing him and, and given the fact that he would would have been considered for that starting 11. I mean, he wasn't a, a, a shoe in by any means, but I still think that he would have been a, a great, a great addition to that squad, given the fact that the United States loves to counterattack, <clears throat> loves to, to play Mexico on the break. Vasquez is one of those players that uh, is never going to be surprised by, by one of those tactics. Uh, so losing him is, is a pretty big deal. If not for the starting lineup against the United States, he was definitely an option to come off the bench should something arise. So, you know, now you're you're down to only a couple of players who can fill that role. Uh, of course, one of the guys who came in for another injured player, Giovanni Dos Santos, uh, Javier Guemes from America, he can play that role. Um, I wouldn't say that he's as good as Vasquez. Uh, another guy who's definitely as good as Vasquez, but going through a bad spell at, at the, the moment is Hector Herrera. Mm-hmm. Uh, over at Porto, who has um, pretty much been benched at this point by his club, uh, but is still, I would say, one of the top three, top five players for Mexico talent-wise. So it's not, it's not a, um, it's not something that's going to kill Mexico by any means. But uh, losing Vasquez at this point in time is is a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, again, there's uh, it, it's it's kind of hard to tre- keep track. We had the the reports that. Uh, that both Andres Guardado and Rafa Marquez were going to miss out. Now, apparently, both of them are going to be healthy. I mean, it's, imagine, imagine that's a, a race to full fitness for those two players. Yeah, I mean, Guardado was, was available for PSV, and he started last weekend. So I think his fitness should not come into question, at least uh, for this game, October 10th. Rafa Marquez is a different uh, different story. He's 36 years old. He hasn't trained fully since that injury. 
I think they're just holding out for him. I think they're going to hold out for him as long as they possibly can. And I think that even if he doesn't play, he's an important veteran presence. I think Duca Ferretti is, is a guy who values that. And um, if he's healthy enough to play, he'll play. But I, I still think that this is more of a decoy. More, you know, it's just giving Klinsman uh, a little bit more to think about. Uh, and we have uh, Giovanni Dos Santos obviously injured on the weekend um, for the LA Galaxy, and and he'll be out. Um, you mentioned his his replacement on the roster, but I think what is more of interest to to U.S. fans, and obviously something that Tuca Ferretti has to deal with, is just replacing the that diamond uh, dynamism that that Gio brings. And I'm not nothing. Gio was guaranteed to be a starter necessarily, but we know what he can do when he's on the field. Absolutely, and I, th- I still think that. Losing Giovanni Dos Santos for any game, uh, give, you know, when you're the Mexican national team is a big deal. Uh, he usually comes to play. He's a player who uh, is able to open up the field, and, and I think now uh, fans uh, of MLS have been able to watch that firsthand. When he's at his best, he's damn good, but uh, he is a pretty inconsistent player, and that is no knock on him. I think that's just taking a look back at his career, uh, not just for Mexico, but at the club level as well. But he's shown up for Mexico in big games, and um, the United States men's national team fans certainly know about that. Um, I mean, that 2011 goal has been played about, I don't know, about 11 million times this week, both on Mexican and American TV and and on the Internet. Um, But um, you still have a pretty good offensive roster left. You still have pretty good players to choose from. You've got Carlos Vela, you've got Raul Jimenez, you've got Chicharito, of course, and then you've got Tecatito Corona, who has just been absolutely on fire for Porto, both in the league and in the Champions League. So they lose a lot with with Giovanni being injured, but they still have a pretty good group of players to choose from. Yeah, I think think Tecatito is the guy that that makes everybody in American colors quake in their boots a little bit. He's the the uh, uh, incredibly talented player. We've seen what he can do, and, and I imagine that Klinsman will have to account for him somehow. Uh, losing Dos Santos a blow, but but certainly not the kind of thing that would prevent Mexico from from winning this game. So uh, again, sort of in the preparation here with uh, with the ins and outs, with Vasquez having to leave, uh, with the replacements coming in, Elias Hernandez, uh, I know has been added. Where do things? I mean, how how do you feel, and how do you think Ferretti feels about the team? at this point in terms of just getting ready for that match? Yeah, I think even considering the injuries, Ferretti knows that he has the best available team. Um, he has two of Mexico's best players who have uh, assumed leadership roles for the past decade or so, Rafael Marquez and Andres Guardado. Guardado is a, a shoe in the play, and he'll, he'll definitely start. <clears throat> Marquez, of course, we, we went over it offensively, there's a lot of firepower there, even with Giovanni Dos Santos out. And even in the midfield, uh, you lose a guy like Ayito Vasquez, but you still have Hector Herrera, who can definitely give you um, a great game, given his talent level. So I don't think that he's... Um, <clears throat> Duca Ferretti is stressing this too much. I, I think that he knows that he has the best team available to him. And I think the one thing that I would kind of point out is um, not necessarily odd, but... but um, definitely worth looking looking at a second or two is Mexico will have one day to train and um, to be in Los Angeles before the game, which is October 9th. Uh, they've been training this week in Mexico City, 
you know, obviously there are certain advantages to that with the altitude. You're better going from a high altitude to sea level um, at any point in time if you're a soccer player. But it still frightens me a little bit that uh, Mexico will only have 24 hours to kind of look at the pitch, um, look at their surroundings, and get ready for that game. Um, they have a great they have a great medical staff, but it's there's always a um, a risk when you fly into uh, an important game like this with just, you know, 36 hours before kickoff. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that I would look at, but in terms of the training, in terms of the tactical arrangement, it's going to be a four, four, two. Duca Ferretti is not going to surprise anybody there. I think what we can look at in terms of a tactical surprise or maybe players being deployed in, in different roles, a la Jurgen Klinsmann would be with Hector Herrera, with Andres Guardado, and maybe even Tecatito Corona. Tecatito Corona has been used mainly as a winger, but um, during his spell at Porto, during his spell at Twente, the last couple of seasons, I mean, he's been he's been pretty much the main striker for those teams. Uh, now with Giovanni Basantis out of the out of the picture, I would pretty much expect Tecatito Corona to <clears throat> buy with uh, Javier Hernandez or maybe even Raúl Jiménez up front in that starting lineup. So he will give. Mexico, that dose of speed, that that dose of talent that you would normally have with Giovanni Dos Santos. I don't know how much Klinsman is prepared for Tecatito Corona. I think that is a, a pretty big storyline going into this game. I think that he can be the key for victory uh, if you're Tuca Ferretti and if you're Mexico. He's that not-so-secret weapon that they're going to deploy uh, given given the fact that Giovanni was was the secret weapon that everybody knew about. So... <laughs> It's it's a def, it's it's an interesting thing to look at with just you know three games before the match and um, it, it, it's just it, it's it's exciting to think about what the the different options that these two coaches are going to present before the game. Yeah, we 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 uh, th- we're bound to see some sort of surprises, even if it's not necessarily in Ferretti's uh, formational decision. But we do expect. I, I mean, I don't know what to expect out of Jurgen Klinsmann. That's pretty much par for the course. I do, you know, with Tecatito, with his 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 speed, his one v one ability, and and I just, you know, the Americans don't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of speed defensively. If you play Fabian Johnson at a fullback position, you you sort of lose something in the midfield, but maybe you're you're more solid back there. And are you do you want to react to the to the Mexicans, to, or does Klinsman intend to? I mean, I don't know why would we expect this at all. But intend to be on the front foot with them at least to start the game. Uh, we don't know what the, the crowd composition will be, although uh, you know should be interesting to see. This is not a team that's unfamiliar with the lay of the land at the Rose Bowl necessarily, but as you said, a limited amount of time to to acquaint themselves on the day. How much does the transition, uh, you know, the drama sur- surrounding uh, Piojo and going into having Tuca Ferretti step in as an interim manager, and now with the word that uh, Juan Carlos Osorio is likely to take the job permanently? How long? How much of that does uh, affects the team, if at all? There's definitely an effect on the team. I, I, I don't know <clears throat> how to gauge it exactly, and I've seen them this week react uh, to questions about Osorio, to questions about this being Duque Ferretti's <clears throat> only meaningful game, and I haven't really seen a big effect. Uh, there's a um, there's definitely a, a transition period <clears throat> to be noted and a grace period. Usually, when you have a new manager coming in, even under these circumstances, and I think that the CONCACAF Cup has really 
<clears throat> killed that grace period for Mexico. Now they've got a month before they go into uh, the first round of World Cup qualifying for them. And that's not going to be nearly enough time to get ready for even El Salvador and Honduras. And I, I don't say that uh, disrespecting El Salvador and Honduras. I, I say that knowing full well that Mexico is going to be the favorite for those games, uh, regardless of who's coaching. Now, Juan Carlos Osorio has mainly kept his drama to the nation of Brazil uh, over the last week or so with his will he, won't he with Sao Paulo. <laughs> now it's pretty much clear cut that he's coming to Mexico. And the players will have to adapt to that. Um, it doesn't matter who's on the sideline, really, for them. They have to go out there and they have to perform. Tactically speaking, it's very different to play under Tuca Ferretti than it is with Juan Carlos Osorio. And I fully expect Juan Carlos Osorio to be in the mold of that of that coach, that, that, that type of coach that Mexico likes, that type of of offensive strategy that Mexico favors. Um, you want possession of the ball. You want to bring the game to the opposition. And you want to make sure that you have plenty of shots on goal. That is, in a nutshell, what Juan Carlos Osorio brings. He's, he's, a, cold, he's a coach in that Bielsa mold and that Jorge Sampaoli mode, mold. <clears throat> and I think it's no coincidence that Mexico looked for Bielsa, looked for Sampaoli before they settled on, on Juan Carlos Osorio. They're, they are roughly the same type of coach. With Ricardo Ferretti, and this is important as we go into October 10th, um, you mentioned Klinsman not necessarily being the guy who's going to bring the game to Mexico, and I think that that has been a, a that has been normal when it comes to USA versus Mexico over the, the course of the last 20 years, and, and that big shift in paradigm that we've had with Mexico completely dominating the series and, and the United States um, just being a nuisance for Mexico and really turning this into a, a, one of World football's great, great classicos. Tuca Ferretti is a defensive coach. You know, we're not mincing words here. So this game potentially um, is going to be very boring if, if both <laughs> coaches come out and, and play the way that they're expected to play. Yeah. This game could very well come down to a set piece. It could very well come down to a, um, a controversial call by a ref. It could come down to individual talent. That's why I mentioned Decatito Corona a few minutes ago. It's a very, very different Mexico team uh, that they're going to face on October 10th, uh, the United States. Well, okay. So that being said, and the and the stage being set there, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm rolling through, you know, possibilities for the U.S. and what Klinsman might do, uh, whether or not he'll push his fullbacks, give his fullbacks uh, freedom to to roam up the field, and uh, where Michael Bradley ultimately plays the higher up the field the the more chance there is for Mexico to exploit space in the midfield but you also need Bradley to be a part of the American attack if they're going to be effective uh, but uh, so with that being said and, and we've talked we talked a lot about the, the Mexican attack Eric is defensively where, where's the you know are there questions for Mexico or do you feel like things are pretty solid back there right now and there are, there are absolutely questions uh, surrounding Mexico's defense, and there have been for the last two years or so. I think at this point in time, though, uh, you have Hector Moreno, who is getting regular football at PSV. He's playing for a Champions League caliber team, and he's doing a good job um, regardless of the two players that he's injured over the course of the last month. 
Uh, he's regained his confidence and he's upped his level since, since arriving at PSV. <clears throat> and then you've got Diego Reyes. Diego Reyes is a guy who had been sitting on the bench for Porto for the last 18 months. Now he's got regular minutes at Real Sociedad. Again, Real Sociedad isn't necessarily the uh, world beating team um, that you would want uh, a player of Reyes's caliber to be playing on, but at least he's getting regular minutes. So now, even with Rafa Marquez potentially out, you've got two center backs who are getting regular minutes in two of the world's top leagues. Um, as for the fullbacks, when you were playing under Miguel Herrera, you expected the fullbacks to uh, be attacking. <clears throat> certainly a guy like Miguel Ayun, certainly another guy like Paul Aguilar have offensive capabilities that you want to exploit, but they're also pretty good markers. And with Duca Ferretti, they've shown that side a little bit more consistently. So... You've got four players who, in the back, are going to pretty much dedicate themselves to defend, and they do a good job of it. I think if we would have looked at this game three, four months ago, then I would have been very worried at the state of the Mexican defense, especially in the middle, given that Rafa Marquez would have been your first choice, along with Moreno, uh, to start in the middle. And, you know, Rafa Marquez is a legend. He's one of the best players ever in CONCACAF. But he's 36 years old, and those legs are not 36 years old. They're, they're even older. So I think it might actually be somewhat of a boon for the United States if he does end up starting. At this point, it's 50-50. <clears throat> he might just be there for the mind games. He might just be there for the leadership aspect and the calming presence of having Rafa Marquez um, mentor your younger players. But that is one of the big question marks uh, as we move forward. Duque Ferretti is a guy who... <clears throat> will train with a starting lineup about 48 hours before the game. So I think on Thursday we'll know if Rafa will be starting or not. Okay, so and we'll, so we'll get, uh, as per the, the, the Piojo, uh, Piojo regime, uh, some advance notice on who Mexico will start while Jurgen Klinsmann waits until the last minute to let anybody know what's happening. <laughs> right, and Piojo did it 24 hours before, I think. You know, Duca's not going to come out in a press conference and say, this is my starting lineup. But you will see it. You will see it on the pitch. He likes to train with his team with a little bit of anticipation, and uh, he usually doesn't make any last-minute changes um, barring injury. So you'll know. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm – I I don't think I'm tipping Jurgen Klinsmann off. I think Jurgen Klinsmann is a guy who does his homework and who knows a lot more about Duca Ferretti than he wants to let on. But um, but that's pretty much the MO with him. You'll know on Thursday whether Rafa Marquez will start or not. So I'm basically I'm I'm, I'm tipping uh, some of my colleagues <laughs> who are already uh, scouting yeah. the United States if if they uh, if they find out that Rafa is, is in that first team um, in that first team uh, scrimmage, then you've got 36 year old Rafa Marquez starting against the United States. So we'll see what happens uh, what happens there, Eric. Just in general, in the in the state of this rivalry, as you said, it's one of the great. Uh, I certainly believe this, and and I'm as biased as you are. One of the great international classicos right. available, but I don't know. I feel as though things have cooled a little bit, and I, you know, this tends to happen over time. You know, respect between the two countries uh, seems to be at a high, uh, you know, all time high, both in, in terms of clubs, but also internationally. I mean. Michael Bradley comes out and puts something right. on his Instagram and talks about the hate, but I don't. I don't know that I feel it's th it's there like it used to be. Yeah, it's a little bit more manufactured. You can tell, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that at no point in time, at no point in time before this game, 
and the circumstances that we, we, we lead up into that game with, at no point in time has there been so much respect for the U.S. team uh, from Mexican media and Mexican fans. And I think that has obviously carried over to Mexican players. Recently, you know, ESPN, of course, Tom Marshall, Jeff Carlisle, two uh, very good friends of mine, uh, published uh, that great oral history of the United States-Mexico rivalry. And we've seen a lot of interviews as as um, as the weeks have gone by, as and as we've gotten closer to this game, with players uh, both present and past about what this rivalry means to them. And I think the most important thing to take away from those interviews, at least for me, is that players, even in the last decade, in the in, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, have admitted to going into these games against the United States on the Mexican side, thinking this is an easy three points. This is, this is a victory for me. There's no reason for me to be uh, upset or worried about what the U S can bring to the table. That mentality has shifted greatly in the last 10 years. And now you talk to players like Chicharito, you talk to players like Carlos Vela, you talk to players like, like uh, Tecatito Corona guys who have spent most of their adult lives in Europe who have played for some of the world's best teams. <clears throat> and even then they will look at the United States team. And e- I say, even then compared to the guys 10 years ago who were playing at America and Chivas and Toluca, um, they will look at the United States and say, this is a, a worthy rival. This is a great opponent. And this is a team that we will have a very difficult time beating. So <clears throat> when that happens, you tend to cool off a little bit with the things that you say. I think there's no real underdog here. There's no real favorite here. I think some of us would be contrived um, by saying, well, you know, Mexico's the favorite. Well, you know, they may have a little bit more <clears throat> gravitas when it comes to the, um, the individual talent, but they've got an interim coach yeah. and <laughs> they're in a period of, of serious turmoil. They did not look good during the gold cup. You know, Klinsman and the United States got eliminated in, in, in the semifinals. Mexico should have done the same. They should have been eliminated in the semifinals. Yeah. So there's really a, just a weird ambiance going into this game. I think everybody's kind of on their toes um, thinking that this game could be as even as any game that we've ever seen between the United States and Mexico. And you've heard things uh, going on in the U.S. camp, you know, people saying that it would have been better to play this game at Azteca. And hell, why wouldn't you play this at Azteca if the, you're the United States? You feel that you have just a, as good a chance at winning anywhere. Um, at this point. And I think that is one of the virtues that Jurgen Klinsmann has instilled in the U.S. team. And I know that there's a lot of mixed opinion um, about Klinsmann and, you know, oh, by the way, U.S. soccer fans, welcome to the rest of the world and, and how they evaluate their national team coach. Um, nobody, nobody's going to be Bruce Arena for you guys ever again. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just a testament um, to say that you would rather play this game in Azteca, that shows the confidence that the United States has going into this game. What do you, what do you make of, of Landon Donovan coming out? And obviously, it's easy to just chalk this up to sour grapes after he got left off the 2014 World Cup team, but when he says, you know, in the rest of the world, if Jurgen Klinsmann lost this game, he'd be fired, I, I think there's there's truth to that. I do think Klinsmann is judged on right. a different standard than than most head coaches. Um does that generate any any buzz at all within Mexican circles to kind of see a little bit of American infighting where maybe there wasn't that stuff before? 
No, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. It was, it was everywhere. I think Landon Donovan is a guy that um, holds the most amount of individual respect uh, when it comes to what U.S. soccer has produced over the last 100 years. So whenever Landon Donovan says anything about U.S. soccer, says anything about the rivalry uh, against Mexico, people are listening and people are engaged with him. Um, yeah, he's held to different standards, and I think that's a good thing, actually. I know that now with so many U.S. soccer fans adopting other leagues, you've seen how how people operate with their managers and how how itchy a trigger finger some owners have with their managers. But the, the real issue and the thing that you've got to realize here is that Jurgen Klinsmann was a target for Sunil Gulati and for U.S. soccer for so many years, and I know that everybody knows that, but one of the big selling points that Klinsmann has is that he's part of that German project that has given that national team, Yogi Lowe, and has given them a World Cup title in the last year. So I think the expectation for Klinsmann is more long-term than it is short-term. Now, let's really think about this in terms of rest of world versus USA. Yeah, I think if you had Miguel Herrera sitting uh, as Mexico manager right now, and Mexico is coming off a terrible gold cup, you've got infighting, you've got players um, acting like children, you've got media versus players, fans versus players, just a really negative ambiance around that team. And you go into October 10th against your biggest rival and you've got all this stuff hanging over your head. You lose that game. You're Mexico. Miguel Herrera is probably out the door. Mm-hmm. And I think when you apply that standard to Klinsman and you apply what Landon Donovan said in terms of the United States not having a good summer, then it would certainly make sense to kick Klinsman out if he doesn't win that game. But let's really put this into perspective. Aside from this being a classico, aside from this being the biggest rivalry in CONCACAF, what is there really to gain? A CONCACAF, a, a Confederations Cup, sorry, spot in Russia 2017. What does the Confederations Cup give to you as a footballing nation, as a soccer nation? Very little. Yeah. It gives you know Fox an opportunity to broadcast uh, three, four games in the summer of 2017 and make a lot of revenue, which is the same in Mexico. If you're Televisa and Azteca. But other than that, you maybe play Chile, right. which is a great team, but it's not Brazil or Argentina. Right. You maybe play um, the winner of the 2016 Euro, which, again, could be anybody at this point. But, you know, let's say it's Germany or let's say it's Spain or let's say it's, you know, even a team like Italy or France. Mm-hmm. Those are really good teams, but it's it's nothing more than one or potentially two matches against very, very good teams because you've also got the OFC uh, title holder and you've got the AFC title holder and uh, and the African title holder as well. So it's not the World Cup and it's not a showcase against the best. It's not a tournament that is going to create a lot of pride if you win it going forward. It's a great moment. Mexico certainly has their great moment in 1999 when they beat a U23 Brazil <laughs> with Ronaldinho and they won the Confederations Cup at home. 
But aside from that, it's not necessarily the trophy that is going to allow you to set yourself apart from the rest of the region and say, hey, we're the United States. Hey, we're Mexico. We, yeah. we just won Confederations Cup. Who wants next? You know what I mean? So I think that Landon Donovan is speaking definitely from his experience as a player. And he's also got a little bit of, of, of that resentment that is definitely there from last year. Part of what he says makes sense. The other part, I think, is just him just trying to uh, create a little bit more pressure for Klinsman, uh, given what those two have been through over the last 18 months. Yep. All right, uh, we could do this all day. Eric Gomez fighting through injury here. Not Well, whatever. He's playing hurt, and he's joined us on Soccer Morning, and he's doing an excellent job as always. Eric, I appreciate the time. Looking forward to just Saturday. Have a safe trip to L.A., and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. I just hope that when I listen to this later today, um, I, I didn't have one of those episodes with, with uh, too much cold medicine that makes me say uh, really stupid things. <laughs> no, so. no, everything was brilliant. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Eric. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll shift over uh, two topics in Europe. Jurgen Klopp moving from Germany to Liverpool with Ross Dunbar. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, Press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, and now we turn to topics in Europe, uh, specifically topics on, on Mercy's side, but we're going to do it through a German lens with our friend Ross Dunbar, who covers German football. He happens to be stateside at the moment, which is excellent for the timing of this discussion. It means uh, we're not interrupting anything late afternoon. Ross, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, and I uh, have to say that the hospitality this side of the pond is excellent so far. So there you go. I'm glad, um, I'm, I'm glad, uh, <laughs> I'm glad our friends in Chicago are treating you right. If you if you are listening from Chicago and you happen to see Ross on the street, make sure you wave and say I heard you on Soccer Morning. <laughs> uh, okay, Ross, the story uh, the story dominating headlines um, on the club side of the game these days is certainly the the likelihood of Jurgen Klopp taking over at Liverpool after Brendan Rodgers was summarily dismissed on Sunday after the Merseyside derby. Uh, many, many questions here, uh, but let's start with why Liverpool for Jurgen Klopp? I think I think it was inevitable from the, from the beginning because um, you know, Jurgen Klopp 
Um, like a lot of Germans of his generation grew up when Liverpool were very successful. So the perception of Liverpool in Europe is still very, very strong. Of course, we know that they're not challenging for the Premier League right now, but they might be able to do that with someone of Klopp's calibre. And yeah, I mean, I think he's always said that the one country that he wanted to coach in outside of Germany was England because he spoke the language. And as far as I understand, he's been taking extra language courses to improve that. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether it's um, you know it's going to be like Klopp's first few years in Dortmund, or it will be like his last few, which unfortunately were were not so good. Now uh, yeah, he he seems like a, a man who is very well suited to the environment uh, of England. He's uh, the certainly the media environment um, that he's going to face there. Uh, Liverpool being one of the the, the historically great clubs uh, of England doesn't seem beyond him, and and I think that there's a very small group of managers who are. Uh, in that realm, now you have to have the experience, and I, and I guess what we're saying here is that Jurgen Klopp has built up enough credit and have, has enough gravitas to handle this, Ross. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think he'll be he'll be moved by any of the pressures. I mean, what would probably concern me, I think, is a obviously having having watched Dortmund under Klopp for a few years, is that I think he can be quite stubborn at times tactically, and I don't know whether that's something that would be useful for Liverpool, especially if they go back into the Champions League. I mean, that, that's maybe maybe that was Ro- Brendan Rodgers' own failing, was that he changed tactics so many times and he was trying to do so many different things at the one time, whereas Klopp, I think, will um, you know, will have his ideas. He'll try and work on that in training. I think the players that he has at Liverpool probably will suit that. Um, and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure he's going to be a long-term appointment because... You know, most managers tend to burn out after two or three years. But I mean, if you can get Liverpool back on the right track within within that period of time, then I think it would be without doubt a massive success. Now uh, he's 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 a big name and he has a reputation. I think it's been very astutely pointed out on this show and in other places that by sitting on the sidelines, by taking a sabbatical, his stock has only risen. Ross, I think that's a incredible. <laughs> I think we're going to you know for for a manager like Klopp, we saw it with Guardiola. When you come off of success, and I know he didn't finish out well at Dortmund, but he had he taken them to heights. He had challenged uh, Bayern Munich. He had done things that uh, certainly made him a notable name and a, and a very um, hot commodity. When you take that step aside and you don't lose, because that's what it is. He didn't have a chance to lose games. Your stock only rises. Is he? Is he maximising his value at this point? Is that part of this? Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. I'm sure he's had his uh, he's had his offers. I mean, I've I've saw that uh, you know he was uh, linked with the Mexico national team job. I think he turned that down apparently. Um, so I mean, you, he probably has had several offers from teams that wanted to you know have his have his services. Um, I mean, it's obviously interesting as well that you know he was linked with the Bayern Munich job um, with Pep Guardiola. So, I mean, that's another interesting strand to this whole kind of this whole situation. Uh, I mean, I think I think it was really important for him to take a bit of time out because Dortmund in the last two years um, their decline was was pretty remarkable and and while you know there were injuries and there were um, other sort of factors in that I think Klopp's uh, management and and some things maybe were were part of that part of that problem I'm not trying to you know not trying to say that he's uh, he's going to do that at Liverpool, but I think I think it was important for him probably to go out of the game and probably analyse what went wrong in the last two years, and 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 that'll probably be a benefit to Klopp. I think going into Liverpool, where he can understand his weaknesses and he can improve on them, and and hopefully the same thing doesn't really happen again if he stays for three or four years at Anfield. 
part of uh, part of the part of the modern game is not just how much you spend, Ross. And, and certainly, a club like Liverpool has resources. Maybe not on the on the level of a of a Bayern Munich or a PSG or some of the new rich uh, Manchester City, for example. But they have resources, and so much of the modern game is recruitment. And I, I think a lot of what uh, people are looking at here is not only does Klopp have the, the tactical ability to succeed in the, in the Premier League, but he he is also a recruit. He has the ability to recruit players in a way maybe Brendan Rodgers couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I think what was interesting about Klopp's time at Dortmund was that when he didn't have a lot of money to spend, his recruitment was very, very good. But when he did have a lot of money to spend, his recruitment was a little bit questionable at times. I mean, they spent $25 million on Chiro Immobile. I think they spent about $10 million on Adrian Ramos. Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan cost about $25 million. And obviously, during Klopp's first couple of seasons, he didn't really hit the, hit the ground running. So... I think when he's presented with that kind of money, you know, obviously it's hard, it's unfair to kind of say that he's not going to be able to use it at Liverpool. But I think I think it's certainly with the transfer committee that will probably probably will help him. Um, I think having that kind of assistance, I'm not sure that um, you know all of the blame from for, for Rogers' sacking could be put on the transfer committee. I think that's how most clubs work nowadays. That you have several individuals who are involved in this decision making I mean it'll be interesting again to see you know whether he goes back to, to Dortmund and tries to get some of the players that he worked with yeah. uh, for four or five years um, I think a few of those players like Nevin Subotic for example have, haven't really been able to get into Thomas Tuchel's side I mean he's a good defender and I think players like that would would certainly enhance the Liverpool squads trying to get back into the to the Champions League mm, that's a <laughs> that's a it's a radioactive name around these parts um uh, you know, I, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm over it, but a lot of people are not. Uh, the, the okay, so he steps into a Liverpool job. This, uh, you know, I don't. We talk a lot about, about poison chalice jobs, Ross. I, obviously, this isn't necessarily one of those, depending on 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 how things go. But he he does. There is some danger here. Certainly, I mean, there is going to be immense pressure. He seems to already have this glow about him, and the, and the Liverpool fans are already anointing him a savior. And I think that can be dangerous when uh, maybe the expectations don't necessarily rise to the level of win the title, uh, succeed in the Champions League, but they're going to expect something fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was one of the things that I found um, quite surprising about the Rodgers decision was that, you know, Liverpool, let's be honest about it, with, even with their great history, they're not, they're not one of the top three or four teams in England based on ability. I mean, they've still got a long way to go to bridge that gap. Okay, you know, Chelsea and other teams have, have had pretty abysmal seasons, but I think if you look at it over four or five years, Liverpool are going to have to make a pretty massive improvement to get into the Champions League. And obviously, uh, you know, if, if England loses its fourth place, then you're having to, yeah. you know, you're having to get into the top three, which again, you know, these are massive expectations on, on someone like Klopp. But I think, I think he'll be able to handle it. I mean, you know, at Dortmund, while, you know, he had the kind of freedom to, to be the kind of face of that club, I mean, you know, Playing in front, or well, coaching a team that plays in front of eighty thousand every week is quite a, a big demand, and certainly in that region of Germany, the the you know the importance of identity is is, is massive to a club mm. like Dortmund. So I think you'll understand it, and I think that's why it was such a, a an easy match to make because Liverpool have that kind of following. They'll you know they'll have that atmosphere at the cop again. I think I think you'll probably see a surge in, in interest in the club, and and I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think we have to be realistic. You know, I think it's not going to happen overnight. It might happen overnight. You never know. He might, he might be that kind of savior. But I think um, you know you have to give him some time and and allow him to you know make those ideas happen. Because even at Dortmund, it took him time as well to to um, 
to create the team that went on to win the championship. I think it was two years um, of kind of mid-table finishes, mm. doing a little bit in Europe here and there. So I think there needs to be an element of patience that so long as that you can see some progress. You know, there are a lot of reasons why this is a good fit, and there are only so many elite jobs in the world. Um, you know, the the big paying jobs, the the clubs that are expected to challenge for Champions League titles every year. Um, he's been linked to some of those, and you mentioned Bayern Munich. And is there a sense within Germany that the decision to to go to Liverpool, not only because he has the attraction to the to the football culture of England, but also maybe because he didn't want to wait out Pep Guardiola? Um, I, th- I think it was probably more to do with the identity thing. I think having done so well at Dortmund, you know, having even had the the poor seasons of the last two years and still walked out as a savior, you know, I think I think he wouldn't have wanted to to um, maybe frustrate Dortmund fans going to to Bayern Munich at the end of the season. I mean, obviously, I, I think I think based on what I've read over the last couple of weeks, I think the likelihood of Pep Guardiola staying at Bayern Munich is, is actually um, increasing. You know, the, the contract talks will happen in the next few weeks and maybe that was something that Klopp has, has seen and, and, and decided not to not to wait it out because, um, you know, if Guardiola decides to stay, then, you know, he's left out of a job for, you know, for the rest of the season. But I, I think I think it was always Klopp's intention to go to England. I mean, he said that in several interviews and um, as we said, I mean, I think Liverpool... It's probably as close as it gets to someone like Dortmund when he took over um, in 2008, I think. So, you know, I think it'll be a massive, um, you know, a massive interest in Germany to see how he he performs, um, which again will be good for, for Liverpool, for the reputation and good for the Premier League as well. We shall see how it goes for Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Very interesting uh, opportunity for him and for Liverpool to uh, to grab uh, one of the w- one of the top managers in the world. Let's uh, let's be honest. Uh, does this mean he'll succeed? Not necessarily, but every reason to believe he'll find some joy there on Merseyside. Uh, let me turn now to some some uh, club uh, items here, or at least one club item within Germany, Ross. Before I have to let you go, and that's in relation to the league. Um, you said it before we came on the air. The league is over. Uh, it is. It is October seventh. Uh, we have we have barely dipped our toes into this season's waters, and yet the the, the conventional wisdom is that Bayern Munich is already uh, it can already etch their name on the trophy. We've got uh, Dortmund's CEO Hans Joachim Watzki saying as much in the press. Uh, I don't know that he's complaining as much as he's just identifying the situation. Is this is this? I mean, it's bad, right? It can't be good. Um, it, I think it depends what it depends what you look for in a, in a league. I mean, I think for for a few years the Premier League was a bit of a one horse race for a lot of the time with Chelsea doing so well and and Man City. I, I mean, I think I think you have to kind of give Bayern some credit a little bit. I mean, I know that it doesn't look good for the league, but I was there at the Allianz Arena on Sunday and I, I was genuinely taken aback by how good they were. Um, it kind of changed my my perspective on whether Bayern are serious Champions League contenders. I think the way that they've dispatched teams in the Bundesliga this year, Leverkusen, for, for one, for example, uh, is, is really impressive. Um, you know, you look at the improvement in someone like Lewandowski. I mean, this guy is he's genuinely incredible to watch right now. I mean, he looks stronger, quicker, you know, more confident than than in recent seasons, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it is bad for the league if you look for competition. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those situations where you know there's not really a solution. You know, I mean, I, I think it probably reflects uh, European football in general right now. You have four or five clubs who are you know your super clubs on the continent: Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, uh, Juventus, probably, and um, yeah, these these clubs will will 
probably monopolise their, their divisions. Um, but I don't know what the solution is. I mean, do, do they bring in salary caps? Do they try to change the format of the league? Or do they just accept that maybe this Bayern team has, um, you know, broken down so many barriers and become, you know, quite an exceptionable team? And maybe in the next few years, if Guardiola was to leave, maybe that would change. But... Um, obviously, it's important as well because this is the first time in Bundesliga history that a team would go on and win the league four years in a row. So, I mean, this is kind of unprecedented dominance for Bayern Munich uh, in Germany. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it is a little bit of a, um, a seesaw between, uh, you know, greatness and, and obviously, as you said, sort of the uh, the 1% of Europe is being consolidated consistently year on year over year. Um, it's not that long ago that somebody else won the league, but at the same time, it, it, there seems to be at least some movement, and I'm not saying it, that it's uh, a predominance. I'm not saying it's, we're going to reach a tipping point anytime soon, Ross, but there seems to be some movement within Germany and a couple other places around Europe for leveling the playing field a little bit, at least. And and I, I think Oliver Bierhoff had some recent comments, which fall in line with some other things I've heard where, you know, just a general sort of moaning about this and saying we might want to consider salary restrictions or a, a you know i know it's it's anathema for a lot of people but salary caps in order to mm-hmm. make the leagues more more competitive now I, I think that that actually ends up pushing the big clubs the massive clubs out into a european super, super league eventually but that might not happen anytime soon is there is there whether or not it happens is there real actual talk or is this just the musings of of some bitter people I think I think you I think you hear salary caps being brought up every so often online and in the media and whatever and I mean I, I'm not I'm not sure if it's the definite solution but it wouldn't surprise me that Germany would try to do something like that because you know German football already has its licensing uh, restrictions anyway so uh, clubs have to uh, financially meet certain criteria and they have to submit finan- financials to the league and all that kind of thing so there are, there is already that kind of financial regulation happening in Germany. It's just whether um, there would, would be a movement to have such a, a restriction on, on, on salaries and whatnot. And the thing that I think the, the really kind of worrying thing for, for German football fans about Bayern Munich is that they're not bankrolled by some, you know, some foreign owner like in England. You know, this is a club that's been incredibly well managed over the last 20 years. And uh, Uli Hoeneß once said that he wanted somebody to talk about Bayern Munich every single day publicly. You know, he wanted Bayern Munich to be the big thing in Germany and, and clearly they are. Yeah. Um, for me, I think I think personally, I think the other teams have to improve. You know, I think you look at a team like Wolfsburg, for example, who really should have been title contenders this year, but their handling of the De Bruyne situation for me was really poor. They allowed it to drag on early on in the season. They dropped a couple of points. They let it drag out until the end of the window, and then their replacement was Julian Draxler, which seemed to me quite a lazy mm-hmm. signing, and he's not. He's clearly not anywhere near as good as, as De Bruyne either. Uh, Dortmund over the last few years have spent badly. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think, I think a lot of the teams have to get better, and that, that's... That's the reality. I mean, I don't think the German Football League, the DFL, would want to hold Bayern back because, um, you know, they want to be successful in the Champions League, which is obviously the number one priority. And they want to market the league internationally. So you have to have that element of star quality. You know, if... If um, you know, if they want to broadcast in the United States, for example, or in or in China, they want to have a team that is in the last few rounds of the Champions League. And this was the problem... You know, ten years ago, they weren't getting to this stage. The league was competitive, but it, you know, they weren't good enough to get to the the last, you know, the last four of the Champions League. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two situation. Do you increase the competition by 
bringing right. the quality down, or do you do yeah. it vice versa? It's, yeah. it, I don't think yeah. it's an easy situation. No, certainly not. They can't. They, they're unlikely to do anything within Germany that's going to impact, as you said, their Champions League fortunes, which means it would have to be in concert with pretty much everybody else in Europe. And as we know, getting everyone on, in Europe on the same page is literally impossible. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what this, if there is a solution, I don't know what it, what it is. And maybe it's not enough of a problem to merit one. Um, quickly here, you mentioned Wolfsburg. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for your perspective on what the Volkswagen controversy here in the United States with uh, the uh, EPA uh, violations, uh, what kind, and, and obviously the shakeup at Volkswagen itself, well, what kind of impact that will have on Volkswagen, which, um, you know, while, as you said, the licensing restrictions and, and, and the ownership restrictions of Germany notwithstanding, is is ultimately a company team in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So to, to, so to, kind, of, to kind of explain, I mean, Wolfsburg uh, was a city that was created for Volkswagen, the car manufacturer, and, and Wolfsburg is basically a workers' team. So, I mean, if you have a if you have a, a workers' team for your company in the US, it's exactly the same thing. Apart from uh, in the 1990s, Volks, uh, Volkswagen decided, okay, let's put some money into the team, and they brought in a sporting director, and their success was was pretty rapid. They got to the German Cup final, I think, in about 1994. That was the first kind of major success for them, uh, and then obviously they've gone on to to win the championship in 2009, got into the Champions League, uh, and now they are undoubtedly one of the strongest uh, teams in Germany um, in terms of the players they have. I mean, uh, the the um, one of the guys on the on the uh, Volkswagen board. I mean, his name his name completely passes me by, but he said that uh, they would leave no stone unturned when it comes to trying to obviously. Um, you know, solve this this problem, um, and and obviously that would that would mean that any marketing activities. I mean, you've got to remember as well that Volkswagen sponsors something like twelve out of the eighteen Bundesliga clubs. It sponsors five or six second division clubs, and they are pretty big sponsors for the DFB, uh, for the German Cup, for example. So I mean, their their um, stranglehold over German football is pretty is pretty significant. And um, I, I mean, the thing is, I mean, with 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 Volkswagen, I mean, a team like Wolfsburg is probably you know zero point zero zero five percent of their overall marketing budget. But right. whether you know this emission scandal forces them to you know kind of close down projects like that i mean i can't see it to be honest but you, you never know i mean it depends the severity of the situation and i think a lot of people probably um don't really know what that's going to be like at the moment ross dunbar ross, ross dunbar 93 is his twitter handle you should go follow him he covers uh, german football for fox sports and some other places and he's in chicago enjoying the american hospitality i wish you a good trip uh, ross both uh, in chicago and then when you make your way back to Europe. Thank you very much for the time. Great stuff. Cheers. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. There goes Ross. Good stuff from him. We're going to take a break. We'll open the phone lines and we'll talk to you. What's on your mind on a Wednesday? Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning and the phone lines are open 646-832-3909. So go ahead and jump on in. Let me know what you want to talk about ahead of USA-Mexico on Saturday. couple of MLS games tonight. Everything happening with Mexico. Jurgen Klopp taking over at Liverpool. That seems to be 
coming. We don't have a, we we talked about it with Ross like it was official. It's not officially official, at least that I know of. But all signs point to Klopp. It's going to be an interesting time um, for Liverpool moving into the Klopp era. But let's focus on what's happening in Pasadena on Saturday night with our friend Ray in Milwaukee. What's up, Ray? Hey, Jay. Uh, what first? I think this game in this format is uh, in, totally needs to change, and it needs to change to become fairer for all of CONCACAF because it's a regional tournament. And if they can do it in Africa, and if they can do it in Asia, they can do it here. You mean move uh, it around? You but mean, I got a call. You mean move the tournament around? I got a around. call out a red. Okay, go ahead. I I got a call out a redhead, a big head, and a bald head oh. because. They've been very vocal on a lot of other issues about corruption in, in this sport. And yet, if the shoe was on the other foot and all three of these games were played outside of the United States, they'd be much more vocal about the format change. Okay, when you say format change, do you mean where these games are happening? What, what are you talking about necessarily? What three games, Ray? Uh, the goal, the two gold cup finals, uh, first of all, uh, the, I see, I see the, the, uh, the first one that he even played, uh, the, whoever wins to get the goal to the Confederation cup automatically has to take a weaker team because you're taking your strongest team to this Confederation cup, which is ridiculous, you know? So, uh, and then yes, right. And then you're all, and then, and then uh, where the games are played as well, uh, the fact is that this yeah. is always going to be played here in the United States, and it favors two teams, really, uh, Mexico and the United States. But the problem I have, too, is when people go out here and say that, well, you know, uh, this is a home field advantage for the Mexicans because there's so many Mexican fans, I think you're really downplaying the home field advantage that Estadio Azteca presents. And that if you look at most finals are played on a Sunday afternoon, which like Mexico hasn't lost a day game in Azteca like never. You know, mm-hmm. the only the games that they have lost have been night games. Um, and then you know if you're going to play this playoff game, why don't you play a home and away series like you do every other tournament to determine to get into the tournament? Because okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, Ray, you've got good points. I got a ton of people uh, waiting online, so I'm gonna let you go. But uh, you got good points. The format of the Gold Cup, the format of the Confederations Cup playoff situation that's been created for this, the the fact that uh, as as Ray says, I mean, there there are a lot of things not to like here. I think he was talking about Twelman, Lawless, and Friedel, right? But but uh, look, I think everybody is aware that the Gold Cup Gold Cup format is not is not the best thing. It's just not. Daniel, Atlanta, you're on the air. Hey, what's going on, Jason? Doing well, my friend. Um, yeah, I just wanted to chime in about the national team. That uh, ho- I'm hoping that they win. And um, that, the, that the U.S. national team boys, man, the U23s, man, they're doing well. Yeah, they are. They're doing well. They have, they have to win one more game to get qualified. But they look pretty good. Um, you know, they obviously needed Kisavetter and Morris to come on that game last night. I actually watched a little bit of that. Andres Cantor on the call. Fantastic. Um, they needed those, those, that addition of, of attacking prowess 
to get over Panama. They didn't look good in the first half. They had trouble with connecting some passes in the final third. Uh, but there's talent enough there. And they're, they're doing this in a very professional manner, which is definitely a contrast to 2012. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air. Exactly. And um, when it comes to, to, to Liverpool, I blame Fenway. I will always blame Fenway for, all right, all right. for, for how they're, they're, they're doing the whole Liverpool situation. Okay, but they're definitely better than Hicks and Gillette. We can agree on that, right? Right? Oh, I, I guess. I mean, you guess. All I, still, right. I still wouldn't like an American group owning something that isn't American. You get what I'm saying? I guess. I guess. Daniel, I was, I'm all ready to give you a. By the way, you've been a regular caller for a long time. I don't know if we've heard, heard from you in a while. I was all ready to give you a shirt number. Do you want one? Uh, sure. What do you want? What number? I want. 68. That's an incredibly weird number, but I'm going to give it to you. Appreciate the call, Daniel. Good stuff. Uh, no problem. See you later. There goes uh, Daniel in Atlanta. All right, we've got a bunch of calls here. We'll stick around until we can get through most of you guys. We'll have to cut it off at some point. Rick and, uh, Richard, sorry, Richard in Philly. What's up? Hey, Jason. What's up? It's going well. Number 21, Richard in Philly. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, I was having, uh, one of my problems is I, I, I'm a big, I like the idea of the contact health, but I think I can't get behind the meaning of it because it, was, it seemed like the more it came out, the more it seemed like it was, this was just nothing more than another CONCACAF cash grab that they, that they decided to do. Like along with the, oh, yeah. the, the uh, Copa America. And like, why, we had the gold cup for 20 years. Confederation cup for 20 years. Now they decided to do, do have a playoff game. Oh yeah. It's, no, it's, like, it's, it's, it's completely, more. it's completely contrived to make cash. I think everybody's aware of that. That doesn't necessarily eliminate the possibility that it has meaning, but I think it definitely takes away from it. And as Ray in, in Milwaukee was saying, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right. He said, Oh, why not play, uh, you know, home and away two leg series. The reason you don't do that is because you don't have that big set-piece moment. Maybe you get to sell out two games, but you don't have that big set-piece moment. It doesn't drive up the, the television rights as much. I, I think, you know, clearly they, they want the, uh, uh, they want to maximize the fact that there's a, an American fan base and a Mexican fan base that they can leverage in one place. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you, Richard. It, it's, it's not, it, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel clean. Yeah, it's like what we have... Like, will we have the same kind of feeling? Like, everybody's like, oh, it's the biggest game ever. Like, really? Do you really believe it's the biggest game ever with nothing, just being nothing more than I'm in Miami? Just go, we need another game just to get make to make our pockets bigger. Like, it just has the same feeling. I, 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 the clean feeling, like, like you said. I, I wonder if it's going to be something that takes on. I appreciate the call, Richard. I got to run. I wonder if it's going to take something, take on the, the feeling of a big game over time. But the problem is. This is the first one. It's very hard to create any sort of real big feeling because there's no legacy to it, and you're not guaranteed to get another one. And when you do get another one, it won't be for four years. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's so strange. Scott, New York, you're on the air. Uh, hey, Jason. Uh, first, quick comment. Uh, Jonathan was amazing. Uh, thanks so much for uh, entertaining us the last few days. Good. Thank um, you. Good. Good to hear that. I, I, and then, uh, great job. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I guess. The, kind of playing off what you were just saying a little bit my question is kind of about the greater meaning that this game might have in developing soccer uh, nationally uh, a little more i mean I, um you know it's a what 9 30 on a eastern on a saturday i'm guessing but you know a lot of the big games will be over for college football and i'm just wondering if this fits in, in anywhere into the narrative of 
you know, making soccer bigger domestically, or is this just kind of a game for the, the people who are already into it? I don't know. It's in such a weird spot. I mean, I think there still will be college football on. In fact, the, I don't know what the ESPN ABC primetime game is on Saturday night, but there's there's always a game in that window that's pretty that's that's pretty big. So. Uh, let me. I'm just looking. Let me look. Just look at the schedule real quick here um, uh, mm-hmm. for a second to see. Uh, you've got okay. Nothing big. Nothing big. Uh, man, I, I guess I'm not seeing a whole lot that that's big at that point in the evening. I'm sure Jonathan Tannehill's got a got a, got a, a handle on what big games are coming up on Saturday night that will compete with USA. Florida, Missouri at seven thirty. Uh, that's that that will trickle over. I don't know where that game is being broadcast. TCU is number two in the country. They've got Kansas State, Kansas State at seven thirty. Michigan State plays Rutgers at eight. Uh, Miami plays Florida State at eight. Yeah. So those games are still big well, games. A lot of re- regional games. Yeah, no, they they all have a regional feel about them, but they're going well, at least one. California, Utah is at ten o'clock on Saturday night. That's twenty. 20- yeah, I'm actually. Yeah, I'm watching that and the uh, <laughs> so personally. So. You're, yeah, you're splitting your. I I don't think this game is going to have sort of a knock on effect uh, for improving the the profile. I just don't think it's going to have that effect. I mean, I, I think it'll get a big number clearly on on Spanish language television. I think Fox will do relatively well with it, all things considered. But I don't think this is going to be one of those moments where wow, look at look at the 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 10 million people that watch this game on Ameri- on, on, right. on English language television. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and it, I mean, expanding it to, you know, discussion earlier about Clinton, um, where, you know, this isn't really going to necessarily affect his tenure, and who knows what this actually does in terms of, you know, if he's ever, you know, if he's making changes to his rotation based on this game. Like, it, it's kind of funny, because you kind of wonder, like, what, what's going to be the lasting effect of this game? Is it going to mean anything, or, you know, the kind of a glorified friendly, for lack yeah. of a better um. Yeah, I mean, Klinsman already has his insulation in place. I don't think anything's going to change there. Thanks for the call, Scott. I, I do think that, you know, look, I, I saw somebody on Twitter say, you know, this is supposed to be Hate Mexico Week, but we've turned it into Hate Klinsman Week. And, and there may be some truth to that. And I, I know I'm guilty of feeding the narrative that, that Klinsman uh, should be under more pressure, just as Landon Donovan has. But obviously Landon Donovan has is the one that has goosed this whole thing and i wonder if we built that narrative up. i'm not saying we should but i'm saying if the story that jürgen clinton was coaching for his job if that was a legitimate thing if that was in play i wonder if more people would watch i wonder if that would drive more people to this game to talk about what happens in this match and watch this match because it might mean a coaching change tyler virginia you're on the air what's up Hey, Jason, what's going on? Um, first, I just want to respond to one thing that I heard while I was waiting uh, to come on the air. That Ray, I guess Ray in Milwaukee said, he said he blamed Fenway uh, for, you know, what's going on at Liverpool right now. And just real quick, uh, it needs to be said, Jason, that Brendan Rodgers, you know, he was at Liverpool for three years. He had 300 million pounds to spend. So don't, you can't say that Fenway hasn't been supporting him, that Fenway hasn't been supporting this club, that they haven't, you know, run this club in a way that should prevent them from yeah. being criticized just for the sake of their nation, their nationality. Yeah. Okay. Let me say that was Daniel in Atlanta who said that. And while I agree with you to a point, I do think that Fenway has had trouble instituting their, their policies in, in a, in an efficient manner. I think they've been, I think their must, their message has been muddled within the club. I think that they, they don't necessarily didn't necessarily have a strong plan for how to support Brendan Rodgers, give him the necessary uh, the, the necessary authority, while at the same time 
you know, look, you could dump money into a project that that, that obviously helps, but you got to still at least have some sort of idea how you're going to get where you want to go. And I'm not sure that they did, Tyler. What else is on your mind? Um, but yeah, I really wanted to call and just uh, talk with, uh, about the U23s briefly. Um, I, I I heard you say that uh, you know that that you know that you were kind of pleased that they had been uh, kind of going about their business in a more professional manner. Uh, you know, in comparison to the last Olympic cycle, which I agree with 100%. Um, but one thing um, that I'm still kind of wondering about, um, and we won't know until, you know, they play like a Mexico or something like that, but it's, how is this team going to stack up against, you know, uh, better better competition? Sure. Because, I mean, like, you know, it's really encouraging to see that they've handled their business and taken care of the teams that they're supposed to be. Um, because obviously, like I said, you know, like that didn't happen uh back in uh, 2012. So right now though, I mean, they, you know, I take, I take all this, I take all the success with a, a grain of salt, if you will. Okay. Because, fair enough. You know, they haven't played anybody. Sure. Uh, fair enough. Um, they, they've only played the teams in front of them. We, we can't judge them. Um, we don't know what yeah. the, you know, but they're going to get that opportunity. They're probably they're they're probably going to get Honduras in the semifinals. Although it is possible that that uh, if Honduras beats, I mean, it's possible for Honduras to beat Mexico tonight, and that would end up with the U. Uh, excuse me, a USA Mexico semifinal, which is obviously a huge game. Either way, right. they're going to play somebody of a better quality than what they've seen so far, and they do get two shots right. at this. They do get they do get a shot to win the semi and book their place in the in, in the Olympics. And if they don't do that, they'll go into the third place match and they'll have a chance to book their place that way. Right. Um, but we, we will well, see. Well, though, that means if they go into the third place match uh, and if they take third, then they have to go into another playoff. Oh, you mean uh, with a, with another confederation? Uh, yeah, I, I I haven't checked Correct. ahead on that. But but you know we can only as you said we can only judge them on what they've done so far, and they've done a professional job. I'm not getting effusive with my praise yet. Uh, Tyler, but we should be encouraged. Definitely, definitely. Right. I mean, like you said, uh, the 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 change in attitude and approach, um, and just the way that it seems like these these guys have been prepared uh, seems like night and day. Okay. Uh, so yeah. that's a really really positive sign because I mean I don't really know that a lot of people had high hopes for this group just you know with the names on paper. Yeah, and no, we we come out and done. Uh, God. Well, no, I just we we did have some questions defensively. We had some questions up top: who was going to score the goals? Well, it turns out Jordan Morris is very good. Jerome Kiesewetter has been the player of the tournament for the U.S. I got to run, Tyler. I'm running out of time. Appreciate the call. I got two more calls I'm going to get to, and then we're going to have to cut it off. Let's go to Carlos down in Florida. What's up, Carlos? Hey, what's up? Um, I just want to address something that was said earlier on the show as far as um, Clinton's goes. You know, there, it was asked, "What would we gain if we fired?" But I'm in the, I think a lot of people are just kind of in a position where they're asking themselves, what are we gaining by keeping him? Sure. Because the results aren't there. And it's just, as a fan, I'm just getting tired of every time he loses a game, he kind of talks down to the fans like, well, you guys really don't know what you're talking about. Right. So you just let me do my job. Yeah. But he's not doing his job. That's the whole thing. And I mean, are we, are we going to stick with this guy, you know, qualified to the World Cup and, because it's leading up to to what I think is we're going to qualify to the World Cup and it's going to be a disappointment because it's a at this point it's an ongoing pattern. So my question is why why are we keeping this guy? You know I think I think the the ultimate question for U.S. soccer and, and whether they pull the triggers kind of beyond the point here, but the ultimate question is whether or not he is 
poisoning the well, whether he's doing damage. If he's not doing damage, you've got $2.5 million invested in him in terms of annual salary. You've given him the technical director job, and you're asking him to reform the structure, or the, the, the culture of American soccer. I do think that that job's too big for one man. I don't know that even within the U.S. program, he's doing great things. I'm not saying he's... he's the, 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 the issue is it's difficult to see the, the, the evidence. So if you're U.S. soccer, you, you fire him if you believe he's doing damage because you have too much invested in him. That, that's ultimately their decision. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even advocating for him to be fired if they lose on Saturday necessarily unless, things, unless the entire team has turned on him, unless there's some sort of mutiny, unless, unless the, the result – thanks for the call, Carlos. i got to go. Uh, unless the result is so damaging to the future prospects of the team and the confidence of the team – that you are risking further failure and and you know um, regression, and I I don't know that are we there? Is that where we are? I question whether or not he's delivering on his promises, but I, that that's a very different question than saying fire the man. Let's go to Mark Fishkin. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'll talk very quickly because I know I'm your last caller and you've got very, very lots, lot of things to do. <laughs> I just want to mention you haven't talked today about the two very important MLS matches. You know, I Red Bulls hosting Montreal yeah. and Vancouver hosting Dallas. I mentioned Thanks them off I mentioned them off the top of the show, Mark. I haven't had a chance to dive into them. It's a it's I think this is huge for Montreal. Um uh, you know, the more I look at this schedule, the more I do think it's possible for Orlando to catch them. Uh if they don't get oh, more, yeah, if they sure. don't get more than 4 points I mean they they got to get at least 4 points just to be sure of a tie, of a draw uh, or tie a tie in the standings meanwhile you know the Red Bulls I mean tell me what your team's playing for Mark I mean there, there's things on the table here still Oh my goodness no there's tons to play for the team is very very focused on first getting uh, clinching that first round bye that is absolutely their next hurdle that they have to climb and they're going to be all about it New York has never lost to Montreal in a league game at Red Bull Arena. Uh, they never lost them at all. They had a CCL draw last year. And so this team is going to be as focused as ever. They were able to handle uh, K. Kamara really, really well last week. Obviously, they'll be facing Garagba, who sat out their last game on the weekend to, to rest for this match. Um, it'll be uh, exciting. And then, of course, for the Red Bulls and for anyone watching the Shield race, the Vancouver-Dallas game has a ton of impact ton. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the late game out in Vancouver. So everyone will, uh, in New York, at least the Red fans, will be uh, certainly hoping for a draw there. All right. If the world does not end today, then we will have MLS soccer to watch with big playoff implications, seating implications. Mark Fishkin uh, from Seeing Red uh, right here on Backhill.com joining us. Mark, good reminder to talk MLS and uh, a good place to finish. Thanks for the call. Be well, thanks. There goes Mark Fishing. Always love talking to uh, Mark. All right, that's going to do it. We've uh, we've gone into bonus extra time today. That's cool. Thank you very much to uh, Eric Gomez and Ross Dunbar for their contributions to today's program. Reminder, Saturday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, USA-Mexico, from the Rose Bowl. If you're watching on television, there you could not do a better thing than tuning into Rabble.tv to listen to myself and Jared Dubois Call that game on Rabble. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm very much looking forward to that. Should be fun. Set your clocks, your watches, or put a reminder in your phone. Send yourself an email. Write it on a post-it note. Do whatever you need to do. Rabble.tv, 9.30 p.m. Eastern on uh, Saturday night. All right. We got to run. That's it. Thank you very much to produce Trevor for his work today. To all of you who called, all you tweeters, follow us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. And, uh, yeah, I'm out. See you later.
disappear.